Hey, just a heads up. The episode you're about to listen to is The Covenant, directed by Rennie Harlan and written by J.S. Cardone. This movie contains descriptions of spiders and more spiders. And our hosts rank this movie as spoopy. If you'd like to learn more about the movie discussed this evening, please visit our website, progressivelyhorrified.transistor.fm, for show notes, relevant links, and transcripts of each episode. After the spooky music, we'll talk about the episode in full, so be forewarned, there will be spoilers. Now, let's get on with the show. Good evening, and welcome to Progressively Horrified, the show where we hold horror to standards it absolutely never agreed to. <laughs> Good evening, and welcome to Progressively Horrified, the podcast where we hold horror to progressive standards it never agreed to. Tonight, it's our second week of Pride, and we're talking about a movie full of magic, mystery, and men who were allergic to shirts, The Covenant. I'm your host, Jeremy Whitley, and with me tonight, I have a panel of cinephiles and cinebites. First, they're here to invade your house to find queer content in all your favorite movies. My co-host and comic book writer, Ben Kahn. How are you tonight, Ben? It's not often I watch a movie and think, yeah, this probably could have just been a dating sim. And we picked her up at the spooky crossroads of anime and sexy monster media. My co-host and comics artist, Emily Martin. How are you tonight, Emily? I'm good. I'm going to take this movie very seriously. Yeah. I'm also pe- the Batman. This is a profoundly silly movie that takes itself very seriously in a way only mid-2000s movies can. Oh, absolutely. And we have two special guests tonight. First, our friend and comic book writer who said, I have to come and talk to you all about The Covenant, Danny Lore. How are you, Danny? Hey, everybody. What's up? Unlike everybody else, I'm going to take this movie super serial. And I'm really offended that no one else is going to take it as serial as me because I like bustles. What did I just say? Oh, yeah, no, there is a there's a lot to enjoy. There's a feast for the eyes, so to speak, in this movie. And finally, our friend and editor at IDW, a woman who I talked into this by promising shirtless Bucky Barnes, Megan Brown. Welcome, Megan. Hi, everyone. Sebastian Stan was the best part of this movie. Thank you. By far, whatever entertainment value there is to be had in this movie is all squarely on Sebastian Stan's shoulders. He was acting in a completely different movie. He was like, oh, yeah, this script, I'm going to make it Oscar worthy. And he did. <laughs> like, he is, when he's being the nice guy, he is the most charismatic character. I love him. I and mean, then we get the villain twin, villain, to- villain twist, and he is incredible. He is a scenery, like, chewing madman. And to the point where I'm like, oh, this is an MCU multiverse where he's the winter witch. Listen, where Bucky becomes the Winter Witch. We also have to talk about Stephen Strait. This is a movie where Sebastian Stan and Stephen Strait kiss and anime fight. Yeah, he did. As as we're watching this, they sent Ben a picture of Spider-Man lifting the undersea base from this be my destiny, and I was like, "This is Sebastian Stan holding this movie up because he is doing everything he can to make this movie work. It's not a good movie." But he is so, he's working so hard. He's like, yeah, this is what a movie like this needs is someone who realizes exactly what they're in and is like, okay, I'm going to have the time of my life then. I think I advertise this to you as incredibly evil gay ex Sebastian Stan. What I want to know, what I'm desperate to know is like, how did this movie get greenlit? Like, no, like Hollywood executive mind, like. What were they chasing? Like this was craft meet, but with men. Yeah, that's that was what they it. Did. There was like that. Was, it was the pitch meeting, and someone was like, "Okay, yeah. imagine everything that makes the craft great." But instead, yeah, who came in was like 
So it's the craft, but all fuck boys. Listen, the most privileged fuck boys we can imagine. That sounds what perfect. if the craft were whiter? What if Rachel like, Troop wasn't in the movie? In terms of just like the box office, like what were they chasing? Like were they really trying to go after the craft? Like ten years later, I have like, two words for you. Was it Underworld that they were like, yeah, fucking anything slightly modern yet gothy, like supernatural, just greenlit. Go after that Kate Beckinsale leather money. I don't know how this contributed to the film being greenlit, but we do have a producer present whose name is Witchblades Mark Silvestri. Boy. It's wild. So, okay, let's talk a little bit about the basics of the movies because trying to talk about it without first mentioning that it is directed by Rennie Harlan. You may know Rennie Harlan's name. He also directed uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 4, The Dream Master, Die Hard 2, The Adventures of Ford Fairlane, Cliffhanger, Cutthroat Island, The Long Kiss Goodnight. Kiss Goodnight and Deep Blue Sea are incredibly important, and I cannot believe you were like saving that till the end. Well, because we chronologically. Yeah, we like, have Deep Blue Sea, the best ever oh, dying speech. With the, oh, yeah. It's a perfect scene. Yeah, it is LL Cool J's best movie by a mile. He also did Driven. He also did Mindhunters, Exorcist, The Beginning. And most importantly, perhaps, he is responsible for Jonathan Cena's first film appearance in 12 Rounds. Well, there are moments of this movie that are definitely like, inventively shot. But then there's like <laughs> moments where it's like, oh, these people can bend reality. But here's 10 minutes of them just throwing, like, fart balls at each other. Yeah, and it's it's written by J.S. Cardone, who also wrote Shadowhunters, we talked about, and a lot of other movies like The Sniper 3 and Puppet Master and... And Prom Night. Yeah, the remake of Prom Night, yeah. the 2008 <laughs> remake of Prom Night. <laughs> <Well>, I, <didn't laughs> <yet. laughs> I thought it was funnier the way I said it. <laughs> we managed to get through the cast list without talking about Taylor Kitsch. We're not yeah, done the cast list yet. We've never done the cast list yet. Okay, she yeah, had the performance that would get him cast as the lead in Battleship one day. Okay, so so we have Stephen Strait, ostensibly the main character in who plays Caleb. You have to on, say their whole names because their whole Caleb names are works Danvers. of art. I honestly feel like Sebastian Stan, Toby Hemingway, and Chase Crawford all could have worked as names for these fictional average employees. Yeah. I mean, so Stephen Strait couldn't because that's not what this movie is. We also have Toby Hemingway playing Reed Garwin, who is the shitty boy witch who's part of this group, who it seems like is going to be plot important at some point, but never is. As you mentioned, Taylor Kitchen's in it playing Hogue Perry, which I don't know where they pulled that name, but. The yeah. fiction they wrote about Friday Night Light a year before. I'm a thousand percent sure. <laughs> you didn't have any. You didn't have any pogues in your school growing up. No, no pogues. It's the ones I listened to. And Taylor Kitsch no. is visibly very late twenties in this movie. He looks incredible. He is like walking sex appeal, like when he's got no sleeves on. It is laughable. When these people playing at age 17. No, Stephen Strait is, is like fucking 19 in this. Wait, really? Yes. No. He was born 1986. <laughs> I looked it up because I'm like, how the fuck old is he? Because I'm looking at him now and I'm like, he is still baby. He is 100% baby still. The idea that Taylor Kitsch is older than the other people in this movie is insane because he literally could not act his way out of a paper bag in this movie. 
Oh, which is bizarre because I love him in Friday Night Lights. Like he's legit enjoyable. He's not the best on that show, but he like as long as in this movie, like he does not know English. Like he is just trying reading that. words he doesn't understand. Yeah. Him is supposed to be younger than Stephen Strait. It's fucking amazing. I can't believe Stephen Strait is younger than me. Also, that makes me upset. So the the fourth member of this group is played by Chase Crawford. His character's name is Tyler Sims. Remember it carefully because we'll never say it again. He's also there. That's his function is to just kind of be the fourth guy in the scenes because I guess we need four. That's the craft. I bet you he had a plot and they completely cut it out. Oh, almost certainly. Yeah. It just seemed like they were introducing it's like, oh, these are the disposable ones who Sebastian Stan is going to kill during the movie. And then that just never happened. They, they just weren't even victims. Rachel True's usual character she plays is in this movie. Yep. But not Rachel True. Yeah. I was, I was talking to Danny about how bizarre the female casting in this movie is because there are two like teen female characters. There is Sarah Wenham, who's played by Laura Ramsey, who is the new girl from out of town who used to go to the public high school and is now transferred into this rich elite private high school. A.K.A. And there's the Kate main Tunney. character of the dating sim version of this story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There's Kate Kate Tunney, and now there's just like a variety of hunky witchy boys to choose from. Yeah. Something. So and then there's Kate Tunney played by Jessica Lucas, who is the insider dating with Taylor Kitsch character who knows all about everything from the inside and has sort of this like bratty history with everybody. And for some reason, she is the black character here. And like... Sarah is the white girl with the traditional, like, black girl coming into a, yep. an all-white environment story. And for some reason, like, Kate is the only black person, I think, in this entire movie. And in an elite, very white, very rich, like, private college. And that is never mentioned. <laughs> it's real this, weird. This movie feels like it put together a dark academia mood board. But that was as far as it got. Nah, just some rich dude's going to do some magic. And they quit. They got sweater vests. So last time I blew everybody's minds about random connected things to movies, it was that DMX at one point was supposed to be in The Crow Lazarus. Yeah. This time, I'm going to inform you about the Covenant prequel comic released in 2005 by Top Cow. By Aaron Coley, who wrote ultimate x-men and ultimatum stuff oh for some reason they decided that this prequel it's a camp adventure with the other boys at 13 years old unfortunately 13 year old boys with unlimited powers are bound to experiment okay okay i mean a second at first i thought you were going to say that vin diesel was supposed to be in the covenant and i'm like <laughs> as oh this movie is really interesting because it makes the magic sound like drugs what will it take for you to get it? It's addictive, you moron. You've seen what it can do if you abuse it. You want that? That's your business. But if you use it in the open like it did tonight, you risk exposing us all. And that I won't let happen. And, but everything else is about abs and dudes like looking at each other and trying to just be dudes, you know, guys being dudes. The power <laughs> to work like Dragon Ball system where... If you are stronger than someone by measure of just whatever like magical strength is, then 
all of your attacks are super effective against somebody else and you are completely invulnerable to any attack they can throw. It is pure just, I am stronger in magic level than you. My power's greater than yours. Not until you ascend. All right, go for it, tough guy. I do want to say, given that this movie has these weird ties to Top Cow and Image, that's a spawn system is actually how the magic works in this, is they have unlimited magical power and a limited supply. At some point, it's going to run out and they're going to be dead. Like, they could basically do anything, except they can do more anything once they turn 18, I guess. Yeah, so, like, you have two magical puberties. You have your 13 magical puberty, and then you have your 18 magical puberty when you choose your master class. Or, excuse me, your prestige class. And then, you know, you get your, like, extra powers, right? You don't get an outfit upgrade. I want to RP in the system is what I'm hearing. I would just use Fate Accelerated because... Yes. It would work, and I don't have to have rules to my magic. Yeah, and you could just Hadoken people. As the exposition mom tells us, she's like, don't use too much power. It will make you age like crazy. So what do we do, what do, we do with our powers? We make books float. Books that we could pick up with our fucking hands. Maybe the magic book, then. What would they call it? The Book of Damnation? So it's real fucking heavy, man. So just to hit it real quick, I need to be summary of this is Four young men who belong to a New England supernatural legacy are forced to battle a fifth power long thought to have died out. Meanwhile, jealousy and suspicion threaten to tear them apart. I mean, that's a lot of qualifiers in a small, in like two sentences. But I mean, what else are you going to do? I mean, that would imply that the non-Caleb characters are developed enough for this group to be split apart. <laughs> My real question about all of this is... I can only assume the budget to pay all of the guys who are starring in the WB shows at the time is the reason that this isn't a werewolf movie, because this is a werewolf movie by all rules. It even makes more sense that they like go to their full werewolf glory at 18 than it really does having a second magic puberty. And it's they definitely act more like a pack than a coven. Yeah, but I'm just like, maybe it was just that budget they're like, yeah, no, we get Chase Crawford to raise his eyebrow in the back. We have to pay him per eyebrow. So you see, like, we don't, we can't do a transformation. It was, I feel like if they got to werewolves, they're like, no, there can be no, there can be not an ounce of body hair on any of these characters. Right. Yeah, like making them all hairy, I think was the, the deal breaker there. It, like, it is I, really surreal seeing Sebastian stand that clean shaven. That was... That whole time, though, because he was also Gossip Girl. I know this because my sister was obsessed. I can't believe I know facts about the gossip, the gossip Girl. He was basically, like, the fuck-up, like, guy who, like, showed up for a while in a poncho because it made him look hipster and then destroyed people's life with his sex appeal. So the same thing he does in every show. Yeah, Except yeah. he wasn't crying because he was a closet gay, which was the other character he played. Is this Sebastian Stan? Yes. Okay. His character here is neither crying nor closeted. That's true. <laughs> I mean, the opposite like, of both right. of those things throughout. Yeah. I feel like. Megan, I feel like you have some input on the yes. Sebastian stand of it all here. I, I, I don't know what to say. Um, I love him. He plays a very specific character. I feel like all of his characters are queer. I'll just say it. I feel like incredibly. Who's very often just is like, I'm going to make this man queer and he adds a whole nother level to the movie you know because yeah like around this time he's doing 
also kings, right? Yep. We're like, a lot of crying, a lot, lot of gay. A lot of gay. And then he goes to political animals. He's playing the same character. Same, same character. And then he plays Bucky. So, enough <laughs> said. <laughs> filmography 10 out of 10. <laughs> yeah, I haven't done any sort of deep dives on the filmography of most of these people because I know Steven Strait from The Expanse. And The Expanse is weird because, like, I mean, I guess someone was like, Steven Strait looks really good when things are blue. So we're going to put him in blue stuff. I don't know if he's ever been anything that's in anything that's not blue, but I mean, he looks real good. And everybody in this movie is also like really made up. Like even the guys have like five layers of foundation. And, you know, that's cool. If that's highlighter on their hip bones in that pool scene. Yes, they do. Their little hip hugger swimming panties. Were incredible. I felt embarrassed watching that scene. Like I was watching it by myself and I was like, holy crap, how are they supposed to be swimming in these things? Like I've seen Olympic swimming. These things do not have enough stretch for them to swim. (laughs) Yeah, those things are like about to fall. Like I guess they're just Velcro to their balls or something so they don't fall (laughs) off. Just thinking about that, that would hurt so much. Well, no, the only thing that Taylor Kitsch from is being Gambit in the Bad Wolverine movie. That's the wild bit about this movie is if you were watching any of like the lead guys, like I wasn't like a Chase Crawford fan, but like he was very good at playing the role that he was playing on his show. And like all of them were very good at what they did on their shows. And then they gave them a director, which was at least nominated for. I was trying to count and I lost count. Nominated for five Razzies for five different movies for worst director. For him though. (laughs) Yeah, I didn't think. He was super enjoyable in uh, True Detective season two, but nobody was good in season two. Even people that are like good in everything. It's like they made Rachel McAdams not very enjoyable in True Detective season two. (laughs) Rachel McAdams is a delight. But like Taylor Kitsch is one of the leads of Friday Night Lights, like at least originally. Right. Like, I don't remember if it changes in the later seasons. So it's really bizarre how bad he is here. Again, he's nowhere near, like, the best actor in the show because, like, especially some of the adult characters, you're just, like, they're just really great to watch. But you're, like, there's a different level of, oh, this is what happens when a director doesn't give you anything <laughs> that, that is happening on the yeah. set. It's almost like the director is trying to make them as wooden as possible. It feels like they've been forced into just reading lines back. Like, they have no idea how this could even be acceptable. There's a moment when they're breaking into the admissions office when he delivers the line, what did she say about Kate? Why won't she call me back? And it is the most important delivery. I'm like, I had to rewind and just be like, you're sure you don't want to give that one another day? <laughs> it's not very good dialogue. It's just, they were not dealt a very solid deck. I'm not surprised that the villain gets to be the most fun one. But God, does he and Sebastian Sanchez have the best fucking lines? They're ridiculous and crazy lines, but they're the best ones. Something that were so bad. We will almost certainly at some point again quote his Miss Moffat line. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but he's almost killed this girl using spiders, and her boyfriend is going off to find her, and he's just standing in the road waiting for his motorcycle to come down the road with him on it. And he's like, going to save little Miss Moffat. And like, it's the worst line. We've come to save little Miss Muffet, have we? Well, you're too late. It's the worst series of lines, but he leans into it so hard that, like, that was the point where the movie won me over. <laughs> that I was just like, yeah, this is dumb enough 
that I'm on your side now. He puts so much emphasis on the word Muffet. Miss Muffet. <laughs> I like I was standing, like I was standing and applauding and just how hammy a villain turned out. Like that line was heralding. I, I was speechless. So this movie is bad. <laughs> but it's delightful. I actually found this film a lot more delightful than I thought it was gonna be. Oh yeah, like this is a bad movie, but it's a fantastic one to like watch with friends like have some beers and a joint like you're passing around like watch this and just like have a blast brett and i had a blast and i actually wrote down a bunch of his notes so some of my jokes are his i'm gonna say that right now i won't tell you which ones but that's the way to do it yeah i will say that sebastian stan's character in this movie his name i can't remember anymore chase uh, chase that's oh right confusing because chase crawford is in this movie right that's why i was confused he does a really good job of just like making plot happen. I think there should have been way more scenes of these privileged kids who think they're invincible being absolutely like terrorized and attacked. And in one or maybe two cases actually killed. And instead what the movie actually gives us to forward that plot is just like, ah, a dead kid keeps just showing up and being a little creepy for a moment. And why is he dead? Because of Chase, I guess. Before the movie started, this yeah, kid's died. Reason. You know that I, really good uh, way to tell stories? I thought the implication was like, hey, your ID was found in like the back seat of the car. I'm like, ah, you were making out. You were doing some good old-fashioned high school hooking up. And then, I don't know, just decided to do some magic murder. I mean, maybe he just like magically fucked him to death. I believe that for every character in this movie. Yeah, yeah like. You gotta be careful. Yeah, banged to death by Sebastian Stan. What a way to go. Uh, A volunteer's tribute? I'm confused. Death by Snoo Snoo. (laughs) (laughs) So, at least for me, one of my loves of this movie is not just because I've watched The Craft, but I see the way this movie could have been good. (laughs) And not just because of Sebastian Stan being just Sebastian Stan. Because you seriously, it's got the Inception issue for me, except like Inception has a bit more quality work behind it yeah um, sure sure that it has a concept that is huge and that they go so safe with it right like because you've got inception where it's like your dreams are so normal like <laughs> the weirdest thing that happens in your dreams is that you walk upside down what are you doing you know that's the part like no i do believe the that the craziest dream christopher nolan has is james bond set piece it's just repeatedly the train scene and the bus scene that is in both inception and batman see like literally frame by frame it's the exact same scene in the middle of the street and that really broke me for a little while that he just got away with that because i'm like it's the same scene he loves public transport i don't know how he did it in uh interstellar because there were no trains in there although they they did make the singularity kind of look like a train station i mean aren't shuttles technically public transport i mean they are government right like that's the thing about this movie though right is that like between 13 and like 19 you give someone ridiculous amounts of power then you make several of them and then you make them spoiled rich white boys and i I hate to praise this guy's work, but this movie needed to be more like Chronicle. Watching this movie for me was kind of refreshing because I'm like, at least we've come this far. Like, at least the craft legacy had some self-awareness, you know, even though it was so mediocre. Nobody outside of Sebastian Stan is self-aware in this movie. Yeah, I. it's so clear that at some point Sebastian Stan realized this was the craft and he's like, oh, wait. 
I'm Faruza Bulk. Like, <laughs> yeah, this is why when you watch the screen movies, you always want to see like which actor is going to get to be the killer because whoever ends up being the killer gets to have like just wild amounts of fun. Yeah. So, uh, do you guys want to talk about the plot of this stupid movie? Yes, and I want to talk I, about I guess, the soundtrack yeah. real quick. Oh my god, yes, we have to talk about the soundtrack. Well, so we, this- literally, it starts with White Zombie. It starts with this remix of More Human Than Human, which I feel like like carbon dates this movie in in a weird way. Yeah, it's weird. Part about this intro is that by the end they run out of images, so they have to start reusing a few. This is one of those like crazy montages, like they're trying to be the fucking mimic or whatever. They're trying to be artsy, which is no. They have the the canned fire sound effect multiple times for a movie that is. I don't know, a CW plot with a Zack Snyder color palette. Oh my God. The credits got me real pumped. <laughs> yes. I mean, if it, it was fun, especially the Rob Zombie, like it wasn't off-putting for me. It was more like, okay, guys, I know where I am right now. It's a wonderful way to instantly show you like, hey, with this music, this is how you're supposed to watch this movie. This it- is the ride you're on. Buckle up. Yeah. So we, we meet them. Atop a cliff, as they gather to watch Teens Party Below, we meet the Sons of Ipswich, which is not the coolest name. I mean, okay. This is also where we get our intro of Sarah, love interest, who is for some reason central to the plot of this story. I have no idea any defining characteristics about Sarah. She's almost like the Bella Swan of this movie. I (laughs) I have no idea why Caleb likes her or what it is that anybody finds interesting about her like i totally get sarah's purpose and this in a version of the story that is again much more modeled after twilight where the romance is front and center this isn't a romance movie but it's not an action movie i feel like this movie just falls somewhere between underworld and twilight in a way that the fanfiction.net movie yeah if you think of sarah as the the writer of the fic her lack of personality makes sense she exists in a world where these characters already exist, and she has introduced herself as the, and I say this as someone who has written these, I'm not shitting on anyone who wrote these, y'all will never know my seven different old fanfiction.net accounts. Subscribe to our Patreon. <laughs> out. But, like, she's legit that character that you would write as, like, a self-insert and introduce to a cast of already existing characters who doesn't truly have, like, a full personality because all the personality is in your head. You don't need to give it to her. Yeah, you are her. She's the dating sim protagonist, essentially. But I will say, she does like Joe Jett. And I think that's important. The, kid, I, the most the legit... In 2006, just fucking love Joan Jett. And Nobody favorite, doesn't love Joe Jett, okay? My favorite musical thing in this movie isn't actually any of the music in here. It's that in one of the hallways of the school, someone has a Death from Above 1979 poster on the wall. And that band fucking rules. Yeah. I wish there was actual Death from Above 1979 music in this movie. Maybe this is Rennie Harlan's favorite. So this is also where we get our intro to new guy Chase, who uh, I guess is transferred in. We'll find out later that he is transferred in because he murdered his foster parents. That's how admissions to private school works, I think. 
Yeah, I'm pretty sure he just he's like can't buy everything with my control because I think like all of this shit is like him being like, oh, yeah, I'm going to make that guy say that I need to be here. OK, I know he had that thing about later. He says, like, I'm real good at car crashes. talking about how he killed his parents. But all I could think was like, damn it, Winter Soldier. Are you talking about like the Starks again? <laughs> OK, so we get teen partying. It's short and boring. And then. The police show up to break up this party and we have a, a police chase as everybody attempts to leave and some people's cars don't work and we end up with all four of our uh, magical boys in the same Jeep running away from the cops and toward a cliff. The cops are very nervous about this. We get a lot of shots of the cops inside going, do they know it's a cliff? Or actually they're using their best Boston accents. Yeah, I'm not exactly sure where in Massachusetts has this giant cliff, but I'll assume it's somewhere. <laughs> I assume this is what beaches are like in Massachusetts. It's just a cliff. Uh, yeah, it's sure. a cliff to the. It's ocean. not Dover. Listen, they don't know. It's everywhere. Someone had the quickening in this movie, so there has to be a cliff. This movie needed mythos. Yeah, I should have worn my mythos shirt today. Yeah, next time. So they show up to this party by jumping off of a different cliff to yep. the party. They insult Harry Potter, which. I guess I just from a box office movie perspective, a uh, bit of a uh, punching outside your weight class there, the Covenant. They end up evading these guys by driving off a second cliff. They enter from a cliff and exit from a off a cliff. Yes, uh, but they parked their car with all the other cars. So when they showed up with their car to this gathering, they parked the car, then went up the cliff so they could jump down the cliff. This is the first time I think that their remarkable lack of originality in what magic does shows up first they float off a cliff and then they're escaping from the cops and they evade the cops by flying the car off of a cliff and then i guess floating back over the cops through the <laughs> mist and landing behind them they could just take off and continue to fly they could do any number of magic they definitely things. need to do extra magic to fix the car because their suspension is definitely those cars must be fucked all the hell because like you see them magically doing shit to cars i don't think they know how cars work they don't like i don't know how steven straight managed to get his car to like reassemble although i thought that was one of the best like idea effects in the movie but i'm pretty sure the car just like went out of rendering range and so just respawned back where it started (laughs) like that's how that worked i always loved the idea of magic as like cheat codes or glitches in reality not that movie ex- d- explores that i just <laughs> apropos of nothing i just thought that's that's cool yeah it's gonna be one of our many this would be a better movie if yeah i mean this the plot of this movie is so thin it's just it's so hard to keep track of it this movie was also hackers but listen like that is the nice thing about it's brilliant what if this movie yeah. was also hacks I think this movie is hacked, but the thing that I'm getting around to here is I forgot. I Oh, the plot is about as memorable as the thing I was just trying to say. The plot is so thin that it is like the dating sim where you're just like projecting whatever. And that's where the enjoyment is because you're just projecting like, how does this work? I don't fucking know. This is where like fine art films and like bad movies like kind of meet around that circle of just like incomprehensibility we were like oh now this is an interactive experience and now i can be like oh yeah they're gay okay sounds good all right i think would have really helped this movie 
is like two or three more scenes where the mom just gets a monologue where she's belligerently drunk and angry about magic. That's what we that's what we get next. Is Caleb gets home and his mom just like just has a block of exposition that she really needs to drop on him. She's an exposition machine, also an alcoholic. Um, she's worried about Caleb ascending, which he'll do in like I in, in indistinct amount of time when he turns 18 which is coming up soon he's the first of this group and we you know find out about these sons of Ipswich as soon as all of this expedition comes out it's immediately clear what is going to happen and also in a way that doesn't make any sense because we find out that they're called the sons of Ipswich because they're descendants of the five original families who signed on to this covenant and that there are this is actually delivered by best friend Kate that these are the four sons of the five original families and that i guess the oldest son in each like in each family is in each generation is the only one that gets magical powers i guess fuck everybody else and they very carefully say that there are five families and four sons because they say oh yeah we we think the fifth was maybe sort of dead during the salem witch trial we we don't really know i cannot emphasize enough in terms of caleb being the oldest yeah he absolutely looks older than Rod and Tyler, Hogue looks like the adult that they have by beer for them. Wait, so they're different. Like, they're from different families, right? Yes. Sure. Okay, so they're the oldest kids. But the only one that seems to have parents is Caleb. Also, I don't know how family trees or genetics work in this, because there should be really large families at this point. Or where who are they marrying? I have a lot of questions that I choose not to ask or get answered. The parents, I they do say that Caleb is the only one that actually lives yeah. like at his house, and the all rest of them live in the dorms because we have to be a dark academia boarding school. Presumably, they also like their parents also just live in this Massachusetts town. They just don't feel like seeing their kids. Which, yeah, that checks out for wasp parents in Massachusetts. Yeah, Caleb <laughs> lives in this water yeah. processing facility that we're pretending is a mansion. It's literally what it is, a water processing facility. It does not look like a mansion at all. Um, fancy, full of taxidermy water processing facility. Yeah. Yeah, the, the inside is the only place that looks even vaguely like a mansion. We get a lot of this exposition between Sarah and Kate, who both are in the dorms at this school. The scene might as well just be them having a pillow fight. I, I have so many thoughts about the seat because like they're ostensibly like children, right? And they're both in like lingerie. And it made me, so, I was so upset. I was so upset by the male gaze of the camera. And then I kept thinking, I roomed with people all through college. We never were like, let's get in our lingerie and talk about the sons of Ipswich. We you never, you never know, wore your see-through pajamas to talk about that. Oh, with like the bathroom, like backlighting me so that you could see like literally everything. Yeah. You know, it was like, I mean, I did, but I married her. So that's not, that's cheating. Oh, uh, I mean, it, it, I think it's another she different, better movie. <laughs> Absolutely. Sarah will also just lay around her, her dorm in panties for a, a giant portion of this movie. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's just like she just sits around reading and listening to her friend complain about her boyfriend in like a blousey top and panties throughout. It, 
And it's so weird to me, too, because I feel like these scenes are shot very much like, oh, yeah, okay, we're in the mill case. But then I feel like the scenes in, like, the pool, like, I, it's like, yeah. it's just in the gaze. It's like, it's really WB in that way. It's, <laughs> it's just like, it's like, we know somebody is drooling to this. We don't know who, but we're going to make sure it happens. Only knows how to objectify human beings, but it objectifies all human beings. Yeah, it is. It is pretty equal opportunity in this objectification of young people. Yeah. Obviously, it is no more likely that these girls wear laundry to bed than it is that these guys swim in whatever these fucking bathing suits are that they're wearing. There are two tops for their bottom is what they are. They're like two bottoms. Yeah. Meanwhile, like all the guys, make make sure all the men like sleep like with no shirts on with blankets that definitely don't come above their pecs like yeah blankets pecs below pecs and below so one thing that we haven't made clear yet which if someone hasn't seen this movie they have to understand ostensibly aside from a couple of scenes this entire movie is sort of from the girl's perspective then they suddenly remember that she has nothing to do with the plot that ostensibly caleb is the protagonist and caleb doesn't quite have as strong an arc as he needs. And attitude about his power doesn't change. Yeah, he doesn't learn really any lesson whatsoever. But he has the same like self-sacrificing. It's really weird. It's like it's yeah. like he's playing a Taylor Lautner part. He's just like very self-serious and unemotional for no reason. I mean, but also spends a lot of time just staring meaningfully into the distance. His character in The Expanse is basically what they want this character to be, but fail horribly. Like, they, you know, they want this soft boy, like, baby-faced protagonist. I watch it. <laughs> the Expanse is really good. It's, we'll talk about it. I need to watch it with subtitles on because I tried watching it with that and I'm like, everyone is whispering with, like, intense whispering. Everybody is whispering. And then there's also, like, they have, a like, a special form of creole that the the people who grew up on the asteroid belt it's really cool world building but yeah like if you want a baby face protagonist Stephen Strait is so good with that which is why i think that the the director is forcibly making them be mediocre somehow i don't know maybe he's just like no do it again but worse you didn't flex it enough feels good to their head yeah i feel like it's also like this is supposed to be a group. And it really seems like Caleb is essentially like, you know, the Leonardo responsible one. Okay. Like, but then half the group has very little to do or almost any fleshing out. So you don't get to see that kind of personality in really conflict or balanced out with other main characters, which is what you do. So you just kind of end up with, there's a reason why, you know, there haven't been too many solo Cyclops series. Yeah, I mean, this this team is basically... Leonardo, Raphael, Vanilla, and French Vanilla. Like, it's, it's, <laughs> they they really push this dynamic between Caleb and Reed early on in the movie. The Reed is using all of this power irresponsibly that he's going to burn himself out. That this is like the big defining thing that's going to tear their group apart. And like, they even go as far as to have them have, you know, a bar fight here shortly about it. And then it just doesn't matter. Yeah. Like, none of it matters other than that, like, Reed using his power as a convenient way for them to not know who's doing a bunch of magic throughout the early stuff. Because we also put the most reveal now that, like, this boy is found dead at the party and he's in a car by himself and nobody knows what happened to him or why. 
and they will forget to tell us anything about it until almost the end of the movie. And then we go from there to just having uh, the obligatory Sarah shower scene where she is stalked by a ghost. This is never actually followed up on. We don't yeah. really find out who is doing this. I'm assuming it's because he's the bad guy. It's supposed to be Chase. Well, but it could definitely easily be Raiders. Yeah. yeah. Given what's happened before this, there's every reason to believe it's there's more re- reason for it to be Reed than for it to be Chase. Including it think- shows up at the end of the scene. Like, yeah. this is there. Unless Chase is literally just that X. Everything is explained by him being that X to Caleb. Because yeah. then it's absolutely him. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, no, well, I absolutely believe Reed is the kind of fuckboy who will be like, I'm going to be a ghost and just haunt girls in the shower. And then when they come out scared, I'll like appear and like comfort them from the ghost that is me. That feels like a Dennis Reynolds movie. Sarah also goes to the shower down the hall from her room in this giant Victorian castle that they have school in without any clothes. She doesn't have to like take Yo, the thing that kills to me. this shower. The thing that killed me was no shower shoes. Like, yeah. That was so gross. Oh, that's so horrifying. Horrifying. Yeah, like crawling around on the floor. Yeah, but she like kneeled down. I was like, girl, stop. <laughs> yeah, like, like get out of the bathroom. Oh my god. Uh, it was You're just like, it's not here. Please you don't know who you don't sure you these boys are not cleaning the floors. When when Reed too was like, let's just go check it out again. I was like, what are you doing with him? Yeah. Yeah. I think it was explicitly supposed to be Chase that was like creeping on her. I mean, it may have been both of them. But I know that is what woke Caleb up because he woke up at some point and he like all sweaty and he's like, <laughs> as a connection. Yeah, because they have yes, deep, meaningful connection. Yeah, <laughs> which we find out with their eye contact later. <laughs> yeah, Caleb ostensibly thinks it's somebody killing this guy that wakes him up. But yeah, I guess it's whoever's doing ghost stalking here. Yeah, I definitely think that it is uh, Chase, but Chase is setting Reed up. I think that's what it is. Or Reed is actually Chase in disguise. Better, Better movie. <laughs> so, I mean, who knows? I if you ask Shower, though, I will say, like, you know, the fucking marble everywhere. Jesus. <laughs> Sharing of the Vatican. That witch money, I guess. Yeah, that w- Excuse you. I mean, I've never been we are, to we are. college or a private high school. But I guess this is just what showers are like in. No, no, they they wear shower shoes. This private high school shower situation is so fucking bananas. Like, this is this got some weird Hogwarts vibes. But like, I got a four light bulb chandelier in the middle of. The white guys are all those private colleges. The white boys don't have shoes on when they're like walking from class to class and like in the grass and stuff. But no, everyone wears the shower shoes in the shower. Yeah, yeah. even. Even white people know to wear flip-flops in those showers. I'm not saying they're going to soak their legs, but they know to use flip-flops. Putting the hog in her... Anyway. Uh, uh, that hurt me. This hurts so, the Danny. <laughs> so the next day, uh, I guess investigating random shit, just being out and about, Caleb is driving in his uh, fancy sports car and sees, a, sees the dead kid in his car some sort of vision. We'll we'll learn later this is the dark lake. What's going on, Caleb? Wake up. 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 Wake up.
saw a darkling. It was in the form of that dead kid they found at the Dells. Yeah, I saw his picture this morning in the newspaper. But who'd send you a darkling? I had no idea. Something's wrong, but I can feel it. Look, we gotta talk to Reed tonight. He'll probably be at Nikki, so we'll see him then. Definitely. Like, we will not learn what the fuck that means. <laughs> <laughs> crashes his car into the front of this logging truck and I guess is able to put together some sort of fast spell to disassemble the car and then reassemble it on the other side of the logging truck. And we the logging truck just keeps fucking going. I'm going to count it. That's a JoJo reference. That's a real diamond is unbreakable shit. Yeah, this is this shit gets so anime. That's another thing about this movie and about like the dating simness of it. Like down to the point where they use magic to check on a girl's panties, even though they're all like very homosexual. Okay, the bit where they are doing like we we're going to be just fucking horrible pigs and like bet on a girl's underwear and then like lift up her skirt in a public setting. I was just going to say that I think that this is their entire budget went to this one seat. Um, and, and so that's right. why special effects at the end are so incredible. Incredible in air quotes. Because <laughs> yeah, this is so important to the movie. It's the Starkling that we see. And uh, for some reason, the car disassembling and reassembling. If all of the magic in the movie was this cool. Yeah. Imagine. Yeah. I want to see the original script for this movie because there are so many spaces where I'm like, you removed something here, right? Like, what was the thing that you removed here? Because I feel like the car gives you that moment of they definitely had other cool magic stuff lined up and had to cut it for budget. So what was that stuff? Yeah, Yeah. definitely. The final battle had to have been way cool in the script. And they were like, we can afford air. We can afford CGI air bubbles. Like, yeah, you know, can it be a bubble the bubble fight? They don't even shine with key. Like they don't have battle auras. They don't have battle auras. Like robbed. This is some Naruto ass shit. Like it's Naruto would never, would never. They would have bad auras. Yeah. Oh no, I'm saying that's what I'm saying. Like this, this really wants to be some Naruto ass shit, but like, just didn't have. There are no auras. Like. Just the, like the kid, just the relief I felt when they started telekinetically throwing pitchforks at each other, just for it being some kind of creative use of powers using the environment and not just like taking turns throwing CGI bubbles at each other that just arbitrarily take turns deciding which one of them is stronger. But they spend a lot of money on shit like CGI books floating around instead of, I don't know, cool effects at the end. And also setting up this whole thing about, like, you have to be careful when you use your power or or it'll wear you out. I mean, they could have also introduced an idea of, okay, you use the power and then you're tired kind of thing. No, they just say it'll age you up really fast, maybe, if you're that guy. It's not like we start seeing Chase start to age in that final battle. Yeah. We just hold these things without really being shown. But I will say in terms of effects, and I know we're skipping all the way to the end, and, but in the final attack, and then there's the explosion, and then Chase is sucked into the explosion. 10 out of 10, no notes, perfect special effect. Yeah, no, I mean, like, they did it right a few times. So, come on. I wonder if it was face, uh, the, the classic issue of the, the face contract. I bet you that either Reed or Pogue at some point were actually supposed to be aged. But all of those actors... Like every actor of that time, and they still do this, 
would have the no face effects clause in contracts where you have would have to see like so you notice how like especially like it still happens now but there are certain actors who like never get more than a scratch on their face in a movie yeah or never have full-fledged like sfx makeup that's part of their contract because it's like their face is the reason they're getting paid and they're going to push it i assure you that most of those guys had that in their contract i wonder if that was the deal for the dad in freddy's revenge yeah, he only had the one scratch. It's not even that that CGI bubble is like a horrible special effect. It's just the final battle is so incredibly over-reliant on it. And it does really feel like, okay, I know you wrote all this crazy stuff into your final battle, but this is the one effect we still have money for in the budget. So this is what we're going to use. Yeah, yeah. Like if it would just been a couple bubbles, like it wouldn't have even been in my notes. But when it's, that a couple pitchforks and then cgi spaghetti which i also which i did enjoy mostly because sebastian stand was just like chewing the shit out of that scenery it's just like it's weird that nothing of a car scare is so much more a spectacular show of magic than our entire final battle against our two ascended wizards yeah it also makes sense that that is more interesting because it the car scene feels like someone knew what teenage boys were like like if you give teenage boys unlimited power and they fight there's no magic bubbles like (laughs) like that's just like i know i'm thinking back to me give me superpowers i'm gonna have a magic katana attached to optimus prime's arm like i'm gonna do whatever i want you know they have the power of god and anime on their side (laughs) even harry potter runs into this issue where with as freewheeling and permitting as their magic system is and with everything that it can do and yet still most of the fights just boil down to like red beams versus green beams yeah and again there is this idea that there are supposed to be stakes which are absolutely ignored except in the case of this like transfer which apparently relies on words but we'll get there yeah Um, so let's talk about the best date ever where caleb runs into Sarah at a convenience store and then is like, Hey, you want to come hang out with me? I'm going to go by the creepy barn and see the caretaker at our scary old, obviously haunted mansion. Will that be fun? People at them. Yeah. This man who either has terrible vision, but can also see that there's someone else in the car from like 70 feet away. He saw yeah. a movie already. So he knew he was trying to save us. It's like, maybe if I shoot them both, we can all be saved. This- embarrassment yeah he also points out the old Putnam Bart as if he knows that's where the climax of the movie is going to be he's like and there's where the climax is going to be like there should have been some like limit to the magic like oh you can't undo death and then like somebody and then like the girl dies at the end and like you know you break the rules of magic like there weren't like I don't know it just doesn't feel like the limits like of like the aging that didn't really play into Caleb's arc or end up really playing a practical role in the story. It wasn't like they were told like, hey, this is the one thing you can't do. Set a thing up. That's what they end up doing in Act 3. If that yeah. makes any sense. Or I'm just the rambly. No, I, I get that. Because the, there's no real connective thread that makes anything with the dad really feel like it matters. You know, other than like, oh, he could do this the whole time. Apparently, if you say, I will my power to you, 
no matter what, you can will your power to somebody. They don't have to be there. It's like the fucking Gozer, the Gozerian, like just whoever you're thinking about gets your power. Like, I feel like they had to introduce the extra rule that if you will your power, you die. Because Caleb's characterization by that point is like, why wouldn't he give up his power? He's clearly way more worried about the addictive and destructive side effects than the benefits of having it. Like, this seems like a good get out of jail, like a good out. But then they introduced the like, no, you'll die. So then we have stakes again. Yeah. Okay. Anyway. Hold on. We have to get to the bar scene. Okay. So like going from the house, Caleb is like, oh, do you want to take a shower and get dressed? Because we're going to go to the bar. We're going to go to Hang out with my friends. You talk to your friend in the background. They proceed to like, he and Reed are getting in a, a tense situation over the fact that Reed is using magic to win a pool. Also, we have the scene where several of the group use magic to bet on uh, whether a girl, what color a girl's panties are. Turns out that she does, she's not wearing any. pitches the awfulness of his line. That girl hasn't worn panties since she was 12. <laughs> oh, I, I squirmed. Yeah, that was gross. I hate it. Uh-huh. Also, like weirdly the most believable delivery of any line by Taylor Kitsch <laughs> in this movie. Uh, horrifyingly well delivered. Yeah, yeah. It's very conflicting because his arms are Oh, his arms that scene. His arms were almost as good as Sebastian Stan's acting. Almost. Yeah, yeah. I wanted his, like, I just wanted his own arms to punch him and be like, sure. <laughs> this is about me now. Just be quiet and hold me and maybe this movie will get good. Yeah, just flex me there. And this weird conversation between the girls. I I did like that Sarah, yeah, Sarah was her name. But I did like Sarah was like, I'm bored. Why are we just sitting here watching them play foosball? And Kate's like, Fuck yeah. question. yeah, I'm like, yeah, that's, yeah, way to go, Sarah. Like actually questioning the bullshit that's happening right now. And then she's like, no, I'm going to do a fucking Coyote Ugly dance. I'm fairly certain that line is the only line anybody who worked on the script of this has ever heard a woman say because it's the most accurate to lifeline in the right. <laughs> but what about boys and their toys? That's something I've heard girls say in commercials a lot. So this scene goes to a whole breakdown here after this, where she uh, is going to win the party over. So she requests a quarter from her friend Kate. So the chingo put it into the jukebox and play Joan Jett's hit. I like, I like rock, and rock and roll. The the kids are just gaga for at this yeah. at this point in, in the 2000s. I love that the entire bar just stops and cheers when this song is put on. Here's the thing, right? So this is a dive bar for starters. Like this is the hot place to take your date. A dive bar for underage teenagers. Oh, <laughs> We get that passive aggressive thing, like, aren't you going to change so he can take her to a dive bar? Right. Because, like, I was expecting it to be fancy because, like, they're all in fucking like, getting ready to go to Harvard or some shit. And they're all, like, in their little school uniforms and whatever. And they get the, this, all of this important social stuff happens in this very important place, the dive bar in Ipswich, Massachusetts. Okay, like, I would have preferred to stay in the woods. Thank you. With the dude shooting. At least that's exciting. 
and we're doing this together rather than just me watching you play foosball, which I'm like, not even air hockey. Do you guys have Samurai Showdown? Like, come on. Yeah, let him wrestle. Like, uh, see Sebastian stand right a fake bowl, you know? Let's uh, right? do this stuff in a dive bar. If we're going to be in a dive bar, let's fucking go whole hog, so to speak. I love that Nikki, the bartender, seems to be the only person in this town that this cabal of privileged witch boys, like, seems to respect. Which is maybe like, what kind of magic is Nikki packing? A bat. He also is bald bad. with a goatee, so therefore he's Generation X and therefore outranks them. He probably told them cool stories about how he was in a band, and I think it's super rad. Also, this scene has nothing to do with this girl's personality as shown in any other scene in the movie. Yeah. There's no other scene in which this girl exists. Like, <laughs> this girl is not that love interest. Is not, like, not the love interest. It's like they almost introduced Manic Pixie energies there and then decided that took away from the Magic Pixie energy of the Covenant. Right. <laughs> like, but they kept the scene in. And that's really my question for most of the movie. Why did you keep the scene in? Yeah, why did you make these choices? <laughs> like, any pick a scene, any scene, why did you leave this scene in? We want to ask why. Why? 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 Defend yourself in court. Now, the court like, of us. Did this guy think, like, I'm going to pitch this and I'm going to negotiate down to a CW series? And then just somehow it ended up being an actual movie. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I mean, it ends in uh, Ryu and Ken going out and having a fight in the back alley, and Ken gets thrown through the wall of bottles they just had hanging out back there. I I don't know. Thank you. So I don't know, Megan. Do you have anything on the bar scene that you wanted to? <laughs> do you want to explain what happened and what we are uh, narratively? I I I think. Yeah, I'm I was really baffled by the song choice and then that was that's the most that's the most incredible thing to me about the scene. But I also do want to know that Sebastian Stan's character at this point has just been like, "Oh yeah, like I'm just going to be part of your friend group." And as someone with like social anxiety, I'm like, "Man, the power that he has to just be like, "Oh yeah, I'm I'm here now." And we know that he's probably mind controlling folks, but I just think he's real special. Does he even need to mind control folks? Like, I feel like at that point, like, he's so charming. Like, it's just like, fuck, yeah, I want this guy in my friend's you group. Think he's control right. natural charisma. Yeah. And, yeah. Which he absolutely has. Yeah. Because he actually, like, isn't made of wood. Like, the I love the provost being, like, just calling people and being like, are you being nice to Chase? Is Chase having a good time? <laughs> yeah. You know what the sweet He let me out to give a call, to call you, so please tell me he's okay. This, you know what this song should be in this movie, in this particular movie in 2006, is fucking Butterfly by Crazy Town. That's what should be. Yeah. Like, yeah. Dance. Oh, fuck, it should. Like, I love, like, the confidence she has, too. Like, just you fucking, like, you ain't seen this kind of shit before. Bam, Joe Jett's most well-known song. This is also yep. where they go real hard on using magic is just using because they need you to know that this is a metaphor for drugs. Yeah, drug metaphors that we get that they don't carry through. And just like, <laughs> we're using it. It's addictive. 
Get it? More you know. Drug. Keep using like you did tonight, like you did last night. When you ascend, you'll be as good as dead. So I fixed our car. Big deal. Don't play me, Reed. I'm talking later and you know it. The hell I do. I didn't use later. What is it? It's like about five years after season five of Buffy, by the way, which and season six. So, it, yeah, it's almost five years after season six of Buffy, which like, means the 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 drug metaphor. This is just a really extended version and painful version, like the toenail yanking version of the Willow plot. <laughs> Buffy, but we get to see the abs. Motivation is oh my god! Can you imagine Willow with abs? Uh, sorry, that's an aside. Like Sebastian Stan's motivation is that he's supposed to be angry because he didn't know about any of this and he was just like adopted an orphan that like he was just given this incredible power without being told about the drawbacks of it until it was too late and he was suffering those drawbacks. <laughs> Do you see my problem here? <laughs> I like to use a lot. Only no one ever told me about the uh, effects, the, the damage, the addiction. <laughs> and we both know what happens now, don't we? So. But he's not suffering those drawbacks. Dare to keep a witch off magic. Just, just put it out there. Why was the fifth family expelled? But according to this, they just thought that they had died in the Salem witch trials. Okay, and, cool. Which, if they had been expelled, that would make so much more fucking sense as to why. Yeah, it's revenge. Yeah, right. Also, they have so much power and no one checked. Like, let me DM them. On the mythical plane, no, right? It's not like, oh my god, there's so many magical beings and they're spreading out. It's like, it's just one. You just had to keep yeah. track of one family. Yeah. Nobody made a fucking Cerebro for this. <laughs> you, use your magic to make a Cerebro for it. You can do that. Yeah. And apparently you can car. sense each other. Like, that's a thing that's already established. Yeah. On sense, this fifth magic over 300 years. Yeah, like nobody thought about this till now, right? And they've all stayed in this community too. It's not like they they're all over the place. They're all like still in Ipswich, and like I guess if they move away, they lose their powers or some shit. I don't know. Which said as to why they stayed there. Yeah. So apparently, Chase's parents were benefactors. Maybe like it's. I'm not. But they died. It's unclear. Chase's dad was still alive when Chase found him, but I guess he had been given up for adoption or something, or maybe he was just with his mom and his mom died, and then he ended up with these foster parents and then, you know, adoptive parents and killed them so that I, somehow he could, somehow that got him access to this school, his parents dying. I don't know. Because they how were donors goes. to the school or something. That if that's their donors, then you can go to the school without having to kill them. Right. Like, I'm not sure where it's like step one, murder parents. Step two, question mark. Step three, attend okay. private school. <laughs> it's it's got the real vibe at this point 
of the plot of people who think writing a YA book is easy. Yeah. <laughs> like it, it, and I, it does not read like a YA book. It reads like someone who thinks they know how to write a YA book. Yeah. Because they don't think that, like, teens will notice this, but that's all they notice is abs and logical fallacies. That's all teenagers yeah. are made of. Easy logical fallacies. Snails and puppy dog tails, boys, logical <laughs> fallacies and abs, teenagers. So he, Caleb takes Sarah home and they have this real meaningful scene in the car where he's like, you're the only girl I've ever taken out there to this shitty dive bar. We are deeply in love after me knowing you for one day. Zero personality. He was talking about to the to the, the only girl I've brought to my creepy barn where an yes. old man who shoots at us lives. Which is worse, honestly. Yeah. I give you the privilege of coming to the creepy barn and he was saying nowhere. He was saying, like, I'm going to run some errands. And then he makes the choice to take her out there and, and to where, you know, Gorman is fucking shooting at people. And he's like, oh, no, it's just good old Gorman. Don't worry about that. I'm just going to take my girlfriend into this incredibly uh, unpredictable situation. Sounds great. I've known for one day. One day. Yeah. yeah. This whole this whole profession of love. And I mean. They can make out that's fine. The profession of love part here where he's like, you're real special. You know, how you have been around for a day. I like that about you. Well, apparently they all get scared off when the next night, when that night she has dreams about spiders yes. everywhere. Hundreds of spiders, thousands Wait, of spiders. I know it should be. I know like spiders coming out of the face should be scary. But we recently watched Queen of Black Magic, which gave us centipedes coming out of eye sockets. All of this is scary. I don't like any of this. Centipedes are cute, though. Not, not I on you said millipedes are cute. Which, which fucking is it, Emily? They're both cute, but they're millipedes not. are cuter than centipedes. That's This did happen once to Brett's mom, actually. This, the spider is all over the ceiling. So Don't tell me that. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, Alicia, triggers for this episode. We talk about spiders everywhere. Yeah, that's the only trigger warning I wrote down for this movie is spiders. Uh, um, but we do have the F slur as well. But yeah, we do, unfortunately. Because what year is it? Two thousand six, baby. Nineteen ninety eight, crappy little brother. Unfortunately, it comes in what is easily like the gayest scene of the movie. We finally get into this school during a school day, like we're halfway through the movie at this point, and finally we see a class. They're going to learn about literature, including Stephen King. This is where our where Chitty Reed gets real excited about reading Dreamcatcher because somebody said Stephen King. Oh my god, the Dreamcatcher line. That was insane. <laughs> like, no, Reed, Dreamcatcher is not the shit. <laughs> That's wild. It's like, we're going to do Stephen King. Oh, yeah, dream catcher. No, get the that, fuck out, Reed. That literally sounded to me like Jay from Jay and Silent Bob saying, Affleck was the bomb in Phantoms, yo. Oh, we're doing The Shining, you fucking maniac. Probably didn't even read it, just watched the movie. Yeah. Spoken like someone who's watched the movie. <laughs> yeah they're having off-screen like magical roofy terrible misadventures 
Like they're just they're, being awful somewhere off screen. I have just, to imagine guys being dudes and they just decided to like, you know, suck each other off. But like dudes do, but in know. a totally straight way, in a totally straight way. Apparently we like there was no natural way to get the characters to hang out with each other. We needed a character in the film to be like, you guys should hang out. Right. Also, yeah. I. It's wild how much this movie makes you hate Reed to then have nothing happen to Reed. Right. Like the movie forgets about the other guys in a big I wanted a big dramatic physical burnout scene. Yeah. Pogue should have had, like, rather than like the hospital thing, Chase should have tricked him during the fight into using more power so that he burns out. Like that's that just. And then it sucks because you're like, Poe was closest to decent like they're all assholes but like <laughs> died like because you fucking touched his girlfriend and like so he was like fuck you but no like it's just okay i deserved one turning to the ashes of the dead death from overuse of power in this yeah. Yeah. and it is up there with betrayals like not getting mind controlled duke in gi joe which i is my number one betrayal in any movie yeah, like it feels we're robbed that all four of them make it out of this movie. Yeah, Reed yeah. is clearly supposed to die. Like, he's the guy who's using his power irresponsibly and thinks he's stronger than he is and wants to talk shit all the time. He's supposed to die and you're supposed to think it's over and then you get the villain reveal. Like, that's yeah. what's supposed to happen there. Yeah. You feel it and, it and you never get it. Yeah, because yeah, even the IMDb thing says that the tensions rise between these guys. Like, no, they're Reed and Caleb have kind of a beef, but the the tensions between the pack or whatever are pretty minimal of a plot point compared to Chase being there and being like, man, I'm his puppet. And frankly, why would Tyler not die? Because he does nothing else in the movie. Like, he's there to die. Okay, so now we're at the pool. We get to see these outrageous swim trunks. You can. Like, clearly see all, like, the bottom of all four of these men's abs and their hips poking up out of these swim trunks that they're wearing to swim, theoretically. Yeah. Um, We're seeing most of the mons pubis, as far as I know. There is a little left to the imagination, as they say. The, the movie has completely forgotten the age they're telling you these characters are and completely dressing them for the age the actors, for the most part, are supposed to be. And, like, if you're part of the audience of 13 to 14-year-olds that were supposed to be watching this movie and discovering that they were incredibly gay, or discovering that they're gay and girls in, while watching this, like, that's perfect. That's excellent. Yeah. But then for everyone else, you're like, you know, this was weird when it was Gossip Girl and Buffy. It's weirder here. The wildest thing is this is followed by a mass shower scene on the levels of like movies that take place in a women's prison. Like it's that kind of <laughs> like number of people in the shower scene. And they have clearly CGI'd steam into this scene to cover up what I'm assuming was just a plethora of dicks in this, this scene. Cause there's a lot of guys just facing three quarters front, like showering as this camera is going by. And there's just like strategically placed wafts of steam going by and it's it is mace crawford has like that come hither eyes but he's kind of staring down at taylor kitsch's butt when he's doing that look they're trying yeah. to push as many of the big 
faces. They clearly filmed this because this was also a huge part of the trailers. So they clearly filmed this scene with the trailers in mind because they try to shove as many of the guys shirtless into the realm of the camera as possible <laughs> so that they could just get a couple of shots of as many of them shirtless in the same scene as possible. But it's just then they're just staring at each other. Yeah. And then the CGI uh, steam goes away enough for you to just get a, a full on shot of Reed's ass as he walks <laughs> yep. following along behind yep. him. That's Reed's biggest contribution to the story. And then we have this, do we call it a confrontation between Aaron, the sixth guy, sixth man in the movie who was there just to be shitty and Chase. Um, Why does Aaron keep being shitty to this group of people that because of magic, he has without a doubt never gotten the upper hand on ever at any point. Like if I was getting my ass handed to me by magical, like cosmic comeuppance, every time I tried to fuck with this group of people, I'd stop trying to fuck with them. I do believe Aaron doesn't understand pat pattern recognition. <laughs> Aaron is the lowest possible person on this totem pole that we can be happy about punching Sebastian Stan and then Caleb being like, hey, Sebastian Stan, let's hang out, I guess. Like, the, that's the logic that I'm seeing the movies trying to convince me. Chase gets an excellent thrown in by Aaron. And then he delivers this line to Aaron, which I feel like only he could have pulled off, which is this about the thing between your legs? It looks like a dick, but smaller. And Aaron throws him against the, the locker and sex and punches him. I'm going to be real. When this movie came out, the slam on the locker was in the credits or in the trailer. And the slam is why I saw the movie. <laughs> As someone who was a homoerotic energy of werewolf movies, I saw that and went, they don't know it, but they're werewolves. And I saw the movie and I went, I'm right. And <laughs> that, that, the slam, a good slam on the locker will like sell me on a movie. I have really low standards. Look, there's just some thrills that you just never get tired of, that you're just always there for some. The energy with which Caleb then enters this scene of a like, leave him alone, Aaron, he's mine kind of energy. Yeah, yeah. Is really a lot. And Territorial pack werewolf energy. I'm just saying that seems yeah. perfectly if they're not witches. It's, it could still, I mean, they could be witch werewolves. Which wolves? Witch wolves. Why wolves? Why wolves is a good description of this movie. <laughs> Why not? Why not? Wolf? <laughs> Why not? Because okay. they're hairy and hairless wolves are upsetting. They look like that cat. Yeah. So Chase proceeds to beat him up on his own and then. He and Caleb are now best friends because they fought bullying and they've now seen each other obviously naked. Why is this movie determined to use the term darkling without explaining what the fuck it's supposed to be? He shows up in Caleb's room and then later like fucking Hogue is like, oh yeah, I saw this thing too. Yeah. And like, there's no like, so the kid, it's like the, and there's some weird special effects that are used here that are also in a lot of the cards for the movies and like that, like a lot of the movie cards and like preview trailer images really focus on this kid, this quote unquote darkling, which is just a fucked up ghost of the kid that died in the car for what reason we don't know why it's why it's important, why it's called a darkling. Of course, we never know, but obviously it's significant. It's significant that this is happening, but we're just like shit out of luck. Warn them about Chase. 
Is yeah. that a, that's like, the, I, I felt like they never really like tell us that. I guess we just are supposed to. This would make more sense if you took the girlfriend out and Poke is the current boyfriend. Yeah. Because otherwise, like, it's only obligatory, like, there can only be one that Poke is even really involved because there's, it really truly feels specifically targeted. Like, it does not feel like, like Chase cares about the rest of them on any level. Yeah. Like, he straight up tells Poke later, like, yeah, I don't give a shit. I just wanted to hurt you and, and also hurt you to get to Caleb because I'm bored. Or whatever. He shouldn't have a specific target unless he was going for revenge because they decided to kill his family because they got way addicted and whatever. That would have made sense because then he could have targeted the specific descendant of a specific family. Yeah. But he just want to kill all of them. I guess. Favorites. But it seems like Eli, like he, Chase also seems to be like, oh, I just need to kill you. Like, kill you. Let me kill you and I won't kill the rest. But then like, why would he? Isn't this whole plan like if I just keep taking power whenever I get, whenever I start getting old, then I'll be okay? But even then, that's not like confirmed because Caleb's whole deal is like, dude, that's not how the power works. Like, yeah, well, he wants Caleb to will him his power at the time of his quickening or whatever is ascension. He seems to think that marry him power will also will the life force. Which even Caleb is like, there's no indication that's how that works. But again, it really doesn't work that Chase's motivation is that he's trying to not suffer from consequences that he's not suffering from. I mean, I guess he kind of turned like tries to slam Caleb into a wall while they're having the swim meet. Yeah, I'm clear. I'm clear what happens in this. That's just straight up a concussion. That's yeah. trauma. Oh, I did not like that. Good thing you could push it back together with his magic. Oh, like his- oh that just the, the skull on the wall. The yeah. pool did not like, ooh, that looked like a, ooh, that was real head injury. Yeah, so this next scene is their, have they have their pool race. And Caleb challenges Chase in a very heterosexual way to a pool race. And as they, he's, they're smoldering at each other. And looking up at each other over the water. Yeah. Even though Caleb is the best swimmer, as we've heard, Chase is actually keeping up with him. And at one point, Caleb looks over at Chase and Chase does the magic eye effect. And then Caleb crashes and first into the wall. It is uncertain whether Chase causes him to do this or he just does it because he's distracted by the magic eye effect. But just distracted by unconscious. And then I guess Chase drags him out of the pool. And then Kate gets a bunch of spider bites off screen. Again, the best way to deliver plot. <laughs> yeah, the actual horror of this movie, like the the first the dream sequence where there's a whole bunch of spiders all on screen. The yeah. real scene. Where somebody gets bit by a bunch of spiders. Yeah, it happens between scenes. Oh, and then this is apparently Sarah has been able to suss out that the spiders have something to do with the Ipswich families because of the witches and something about that one of the guys had a spider thing that he did or something. She did and, the Twilight like research montage. Yeah. Uh-huh. And did. there's a cool you picture had- of a hand coming out of a cloud with a spider in it, which I gotta say. Old school, like medieval grimoires and shit and like tarot card illustrations with the hand coming out of a cloud with something. It's fucking fantastic aesthetic. And 
also real great uh, metaphor for the structure of this film. So just want to shout out there. Anyway, Kate says, oh, yeah, the whole witchcraft thing, it all started here. So all witchcraft started there. No further questions. No, no additional world building necessary. The defense rests. Yeah. Also, witchcraft, a definitely thing isolated two oldest sons in this movie. Not a problematic. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure what to make at all. Yeah. Not exactly sure what to make of witchcraft as an entirely patriarchal power. Yeah. You know, it was just like, what else can white cis men in Hollywood take from the right? Like, I, it's just wild. Try to take the craft. Yeah. Like, one dude seeing the craft and being like, this is ours now too. I do want like, Skeetle. like Mary, like you said, there is a there is a good movie that could have happened here. Like this is the these are the ruins of a possibly good film, where and it's incredibly gay, and they never would have let it happen. Yeah, it's a, a film that would never have been greenlit, but like a gay ass movie where it is the craft, and they like worship gay god. I don't know. I'm yeah, you've already told me. Don't yeah. have to sell this movie any murder. Like, they just been Baphomet. And they're just like, look at this goat guy with, I mean, it's not a guy. It's a, it's a Baphomet. There's, they are a Baphomet. I wish everything had been more tied to, like, this dark academia setting of the Eden of the Academy. And I wish it had gone a little, I wish it had gone harder in the dark, dark academia and... Yeah, I, w- I wish we'd gotten, like, like Reed and uh, Chase Crawford, like, had gotten terrorized more. And, yeah. you know, either it or died. Which was more a story and less a collection of scenes. <laughs> I wish that there was more Anything? Justi- justification for why they've actually convinced teenagers to care about dying young, right? Because if at 18 none of them like the thing that would make like you can make an argument that okay the reason why you get caleb as the main character is because he's mature enough unfortunately because of the sins of his father to like have to understand that like not dudes were like actually mortal like and that's what makes him special like you have something like that or you have him go through the i don't want to die like dying young and powerful like the scarface way is not the way yeah right but like and you could have done that by going a bit more horror angle in how they interact with adults right like how do the uh, how do the adults limit them right if it's literally just a we don't like getting addicted to it how do you stop a bunch of 18 year olds from doing it yeah like are they are the adults scared of them do the adults have some sort of like actual ability to like punish them in any way because by the logic of the movie they don't yeah. So, like, a 15-year-old should be there. Like, I don't... <laughs> yeah, like, this I, guy should be the fucking... I think should boys. The long, like, yeah, lost boys. I think this might be where we run into the an issue of the other characters' fathers don't appear. Because one thing we don't really get a good sense of is, okay, we see that Caleb's father aged super fast and the impact that's had on Caleb's outlook and attitudes towards the power is that just like how all of them end up where they end up crazy powerful by the time they're like ancient and dead essentially by the time they're 40 
or are the other characters like are their dads still like relatively fine and yeah. that informs In their case, more reckless attitude also when did the moms get pregnant right like at did what point in his in, in in chase's and caleb's father's life did he start super aging there are so many I have questions and I don't want them answered, but, yeah, I, don't I, answer, I, but I don't want them answered. The fuck schedule that this, that four families needed to coordinate in order to each have a son, like... Before was, all of them melt down. Within the same school year. See, that I'm Before fine I have with. fuck schedule, though. That I'm actually fine with because, again, witch magic and things, they all become, like, godly powerful at 18. Them all being the exact same age doesn't bother me because my brain fills in their witches. We're now with the Hardy Boys yeah. scene where Caleb and Pope decide to go poking around in the records to find out uh, what the fuck's going on with Chase. Yeah, there's a sweet cave and then that's when they use the magic to move books around. We also, like... Again, they should be boyfriends. don't actually mean anything. Like, that his, his last name is Pope and maybe that's kind of related to this other character who we've never talked about before. You know, the hist- we don't know any of the history here, but they are putting it all together that maybe this guy is part of this fifth family and they uh, almost get busted by the security guy and then float around a bit. Why would they care about security on any level? They're literally the most powerful dudes in the town. Apparently yeah, the other set coming into silence. It's very unclear what the limits of their power is where it's like, oh no, falling papers. And then the movie very immediately goes like, Oh, right. Absolute power over mad time and matter in space. <laughs> yeah. It's like, is there a covenant of silence? Are they the most feared people in town? Are they the most feared people in town, but no one talks about it? This should be a real, like, that one Twilight Zone episode or that. With, with, the, with the kid? Yeah. Or yeah. that Treehouse of Horror short where it's barred in place of that Twilight Zone episode. Right. And that, but. The, the Covenant of Silence is established in the beginning crawl of the movie as being like, okay, we have to make sure that no one knows about our powers so they don't burn us at the stake again. But why, their powers there? Who's going to stop me, Boo? Right. I, I don't understand. Also, why are they now worried about being like burned as witches? They are... The ones who survived. They are rich, powerful white men. They're fine. Yeah. They will always be fine. Yeah. And then, like, that is never brought up ever as any sort of issue for the rest of the They survived. They are this powerful, and they did not get revenge on the people who burned their family as witches. I don't under... What kind of punks are these dudes? Like, they are the the weak, saucest, powerful people that I've ever seen. I mean, this movie posits that the true victims of the Salem witch trials were written <laughs> out Again. Okay, so they find the important, the really important paperwork here. And then they find out that Kate has been bitten by a bunch of spiders and that this is clearly Chase's doing. So Pogue decides he's going to go, I guess he's going to the hospital to see her. But of course he encounters Chase on the road and decides he's going to run him over with his motorcycle and chase uses his limitless power to just flip him over and destroy his motorcycle and doesn't have the reassembly power apparently i guess you know reassembly power only works when you're 
in a fiery crash rather than another witch just twists up your motorcycle. Yeah, there's a split second my battle of the minds there, and then Chase's reality was accepted. Yeah, Chase has a much higher magic skill. He's casting yeah. a higher level. Right. Um, He's absolutely a sorcerer. It's a charisma skill. Yeah. Yeah. And so Pogue is out of this. He's just, he's to the hospital because nobody can really die in this, except for one unnamed kid from the beginning. But he's a darkling, so who knows what the fuck that means. Who um, wasn't one of them? Right? right? Like, why wasn't that kid a witch? I don't understand. He's a ginger. I mean, that that's a daywalker, and that's fair. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so this next scene is unfathomable to me <laughs> because what happens in this scene is that our man Caleb knocks on Sarah's door comes in and is like hey there's been an accident to tell you about you know what's going on with with our man Hogue here and they sit down on the bed and then there's another knock at the door and they're like oh hold on let's go check that might be Pogue who you know this has run off and she opens the door and it's Caleb who was there to tell her about the accident that Pogue had, but Caleb's already in the room sitting on the bed. So then that Caleb disappears, but then also that Sarah disappears and that Sarah is unconscious on the bed next to this version of Chase that was pretending to be fucking Caleb beforehand. Illusion. I, I, yeah, like I don't, I can't, my head hurts thinking about it. No, it only makes sense when you remember that magic is an addiction and that Chase is high as balls this entire time. Like, it only makes sense when you realize that he is literally high on power and he's just an illusion Sarah, so he can then trick his own illusion by pretending to be illusion Caleb. I actually kind of. I kind of thought that what happened was that he just teleported her. He's like, okay, game's over. He does really like to accelerate the plot. This character, it's just like, no, I'm going to show up here so I can give you exposition and kill you. Okay, I'm going to show up here because your plan is stupid and we're just going to go straight to the denouement. Like, none of this fucking around. I'm tired of you fucking around, movie. We're going to do some weird switchy switch nonsense shit and... I think the reason for that is just so Chase could be like, okay, no, I need to tell you my master plan. Also, I have your girlfriend and I put a spider in her. The spider is my... No. Anyway, I'm not going there. Not going there. It's It's what every man truly believes. (laughs) Somebody's going to put a spider and some other guy's going to put a spider in their woman. So I'm not going to lie. It kind of checks out that left to his own devices... Chase is just pretending to be both Caleb and Caleb's It's it's, It's just playing Barbies. Yeah. Yeah. That's his fan fiction. Like, hey, Caleb, I wrote you this. You know, what's interesting to me is what then happens in the scene is he he puts this spider in Sarah's ear and then he proceeds to have the most homoerotic witch battle with the glorious moment. The real reason we've all come here, aside from the locker scene, is every fill-in speech from this moment on. He at no point at ever sexually menaces Sarah, just <laughs> laid out on the bed and has a spider put in her ear. He is lying on Caleb, like making out with him forcibly at one point, like just you know, kisses him on the lips. Just think of yourself as a sacrificial lamb. Hell. 
already their golden boy? Why not go out a real hero? So tomorrow night, the barn, where it all started. A birthday party. Just you and me. It's either you or them. I have a question. Huh. Yes. Do you, do you think that was in the script or do you think? No, absolutely not. <laughs> or, uh, so it's either it was not in the script or it was. They cut it out and Sebastian said, fuck it, I'm doing it anyway. <laughs> uh, this movie is, is enjoyable and we have to talk about some of where this is going. Is it going okay. anywhere though? Yes, it goes back to, <laughs> it's going to their fucking Dragon Ball fight and the okay. Yasha line. Yeah, so Chase does a lot of explanation about himself, none of which really matters. We've kind of got the gist of it at this point. And yeah, he found his dad who's prematurely old. So he wants to prevent that from happening to him by stealing Caleb's powers. Caleb's like, dude, that's not how it works. It burns out your body. It's not a magic problem. And Chase's response to this is basically, blah, 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 I'm not listening. <laughs> and his, re his reaction is, I'm high as balls. I don't know what you're talking about. This magic feels so good. I like using magic. I'm going to so, shoot it up and smoke it. Is oh, God. To wait until Caleb's birthday when he turns 18 and gets the quickening, at which point he wants Caleb to will him that power so he can continue to have more magic, which, as Caleb has already told him, is not going to work, but he's insistent upon it anyway. If he wasn't high, he would have understood the best way was actually... To seduce every member of this coven yeah and then manipulate them into giving in into a vulnerable situation and tricking them into giving him their power yeah. instead of making them all like hyper aware of what's going on and failing to actually kill any of them it would be so easy for him to kill the rest of this coven yeah and he could just turn into hot girls and be like just be i bet you can't tell them. what panties i'm wearing <laughs> uh, That's the death Reed deserved. Murder him of the power of girl. Out the ass. <laughs> like, it should have just That's been a nightmare. That was a nightmare. Like, strangled to death by panties or just like smothered to death. Yeah, it's uh, real, like, revenge. Again, I really like the idea of, again, there's this very privileged group of like teenage boys with magical powers who essentially have free reign of this town our main character is the most responsible one and sees the downside we have like the ones who are very like reckless and irresponsible and then suddenly this mysterious force and these people who feel totally invincible and very privileged start getting picked off one by one as their own fears and insecurities are turned against them. Yeah. As we learn in a tale of witchcraft, betrayal, and vengeance, like in Dark Academia, I'm fucking here for it. Yeah, what you're describing is a plot, which is not something this movie is interested in. Because at this point, to its credit, it is less interested in resolving anything interested in the plot here than it is Sebastian Stan kissing Caleb here and being like, all right, I'm going to come back for you on your birthday. Peace. He agrees to release Sarah because Sarah's going to die otherwise. Sarah eventually wakes up and Caleb's like, oh, sorry, you just passed out as soon as I told you that there had been an accident. 
you have fate expels, didn't you know? And Sarah, oh, finally. oh my dear, you are just fainting. Let me get you on your fainting couch for your hysteria, which is almost exactly what happens here. You have the vapors. And Sarah's kind of she's like, salts. I'm a witch, you know, so I have many of them. Yeah, Sarah's like, are you sure it has nothing to do with how that you're from an old family of witches and there's some sort of witch battle going on here, which I've unintentionally gotten into? And she's like, or Caleb's like, ah, oh, hang on. Let me drive you out again to my creepy house so that you can meet my 44-year-old dad who looks like a mummy. And then they decide to make a plan. They make this plan off screen and it will not matter. And I'm still not sure what their plan even was. It doesn't matter. It doesn't work. Well, the, a lot of people say, Caleb, you should do this. And he was like, no, it's on me. Oh, Caleb's like, I'm going to go face him. You guys go ahead and go to the dance and take Sarah with you. There's no way this insane man is going to do anything in public. And of course, he then does. Saying, you know, steal Sarah while the other guys seem to literally have their back. and high. Like, yeah, and then there's this weird bit where Sarah comes down in a pretty dress that it's supposed to be like, you know, fucking prom queen shit, like Cinderella shit, and it's not. They're like, oh, wow, you look really good. And then mom's like, she looks good, huh? And then they're like, cool, yeah. Anyway, you're either going to die or age a million years. Why won't you do right the right thing? And he's like, no, it's got to be me, you know. I'm it's only I'm so we can have the dramatic tension of Caleb losing. So the thing that Caleb says, no, can't happen, can then happen, but only at the most tense moment for narrative, like three act structure. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, because otherwise Caleb could just been like, yeah, sure. Let me have my dad give me my powers and then I'll just show up and I'll just beat Chase right at the start of it. (laughs) Had to wait for the most like dramatically tense time for Caleb's dad to give him his powers and then like turn the tides which is all he needed even though everyone's like hey just do that from the beginning and apparently the dad will give him his powers because he's selfish which is like nobody asked nobody asked yeah mom is down there his powers his body is just burning out like they've said and the bomb's like I guess the only way we can handle this, the only way you could beat this witch of unknown amount of power is if your dad gives you his power. So the mom is executing this plan. Go oh, out to face Chase. <laughs> yeah. So, so Chase, like, I will finally be rid of this man. Yeah. Clearly, who they just kind of like, magic is an addiction, but then they use that, if you go that metaphor, they just literally, a drug addict, as Chekhov's gun. Yeah. The only way for and that is the to win wildest. Is give him all of your cocaine. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you have to give him your cocaine to go with his cocaine so that he can keep his other cocaine. I know. The, the, but if I lose my cocaine, you OD. I literally, like, there are concepts of his father. Having burnt out because he was super addicted to magic. Not even the, oh, I've seen what it ha- what happens when you use magic, even for good. Because he saved me and my mother from a burning train with this power that, like, aged him drastically, like, yeah. in an instant. No, they just kind of lay, like, what does that mean? Was he then literally raised by someone who was, like, having a mental breakdown? Is that the world that Chase comes from? Is that a very different world from the rest of his like friends 
that like using the magic makes you crazy like Chase, then Caleb's life was terrible. Yeah. I'm pretty sure Chekhov's drug addict is the title of the episode. Yeah. Yeah. Check and I'm sorry. So they then so so Chase is going to make him give him his magic because he has his girlfriend. Things are catching on fire during this fight, and she is sort of floating and spit roasting over this fire throughout the scene. Yeah, Uh, and then because Caleb was on his way to, I think, go to the dance, and then Chase is like, or no, maybe he was just Caleb is going to the barn. Okay, we do not know. Just to do not know what his plan is. I guess he's just going to give it up or fight. I don't know. They think that they're doing the Buffy wearing face clothes showdown, but they don't actually make that clear. So it's just, it's like we're going to where it all began, but it only began here because I said it began here rather than like anything substantial with Chase happening here. Like, yeah, this so they can do the quickening there or whatever. So, what all like all of this makes no sense, but it is somehow also the best scene in the movie. Because yeah. Sebastian Stan goes full fucking ham in this scene. At one point, he's rattling the whole house and everything is thumping around and being all haunted. And then it stops and he goes, ooh, witchies. Ooh, witchies. And then... He proceeds to tell Caleb that he's going to make him his weach. How about you let her go? And I let you live out your life. How about I make you my weach? I really am bad we did not get that world building. How does one become one's weach? Yeah. Is it marriage? Is it servitude? I must know. This weach line, in any other hand, would just sound like a DreamWorks a uh, pop culture reference that doesn't work with like a you to ant kind of thing. But yeah, and Stan is just so beyond any of that. They throw balls of air at each other for a while and they break some shit and things catch on fire. And then Caleb gets his quickening in the middle of this and uh, lightning strikes him and Chase is like, oh yeah, that's the good stuff. That's what I want. Uh, yeah. Don't forget the um, I want to be a hardcore that plays with the lightning strike. That's understood. Well, yeah. Um, what happens when lightning, like, that's what thunder is. It's yeah, got guitar, guitar riffs. It's I sweet riffs. Again, if Chase had any sense or any brain, he would not have made sure that Caleb was combat ready at the exact point that he needed to steal the power. Yeah. yeah. He could have just broed out and been like, yo, let me celebrate your birthday with you. Let's get completely blasted. Yeah, and, and then trick him into saying the words, right? Say the words, but I dare you to say this word, dude. I dare you, bet you won't. <laughs> like, tell him about it so that, that like, he says a phrase that like sounds like it when you're like slurring drunk. Yeah, got him. <laughs> Nailed it. Yeah, so they, he... if you were gonna will your power to somebody, that you're talking to, you have to do is ask. I'm gonna be real. Yeah. <laughs> so he needs extra power, and then he gets the power transferred from his dad, who then dies. Uh, and it's enough to finally blow Chase up, sort of. Like, he throws an explosion at him, 
and the explosion then sucks Chase in, and Chase is not seen again. In fact, we will learn shortly thereafter that they don't find any kind of body. So, you know, theoretically, if they were building a franchise, Chase could return, but there's never going to be a second one of these. I think there is a second one. Hazard. They're very just like, oh, where is he? He's like, let's get out of here. Movie over. At some point, Caleb had to have a conversation with the police that was like, I definitely didn't burn this barn down. And there might have been somebody in it when it did burn down. I don't know for sure. But who can tell? Who can say? Like, look, I need to know. Are you a thousand percent sure that there's nobody there? Which again, there shouldn't be, and I have no reason to think there should there wouldn't be, but are you sure there isn't? Yeah. And so uh Caleb just rushed back into the building to uh Safe his, his spit roasted girlfriend, and we just jump no, forward to the next morning. That way, hey, Jeremy. <laughs> she should have been sitting there dangling, twisting over the fire for however that, long this fight lasts. She's being rotisserie. <laughs> rotisserie. Yes. And so the next morning, she's there with Chase, and the police are uninterested uh, in questioning these rich teens about the destruction of this historic landmark. But much like all other rich teens, that gives a shit. This is a very accurate part of the movie. They did not find Chase's body. And then the credits finally roll and we <laughs> we are left to, sorry. And as they put in the notes, we are left alone to ponder the sins of this fallen world. <laughs> do we even see Riley and Chase Crawford again? Or do we literally, or is the last thing you see of them at the dance being like, Where's Sarah? I guess we lost her. There's a one point where they cut back to them and they're like, ah, oh, man, it's that time. I guess happy birthday, Caleb. And it's the last we see of them. So this like, movie, was this movie feminist? No. no. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Um, there are two female characters. They do talk to each other. It's always about the boys. Yeah. yeah. It's not best. The best. This is like... It, this is failing the Bechdel test so hard it like broke. It's rare to see a movie it, where there is so much of two named women characters talking that still fails the Bechdel test. It's like this is this is the definition of like why the Bechdel test exists because it's like why does it need to be two women that talk to each other about something other than men? This is it. They are literally just there to deliver exposition about men and to dig showers. That's it. They're, they could be, I, okay. I would say this about this is, and this is true about most of the characters in the movie as well. They could just be played by sexy lamps. That this fails the sexy lamps. I think yeah. the first time you mentioned that to me, it was literally Case Crawford could just be a sexy lamp in this film. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> is a sexy lamp in this film. <laughs> He could absolutely be a sexy lamp. Uh, honestly, after like the first 30 minutes, so could Reed. <laughs> what an incredible Abercrombie and Fitch lineup like they put together for this movie. Yeah, all, all literally the guys are X models. So how do we feel like this movie handles uh, mental illness? Anything. And it doesn't, it doesn't handle anything. Yeah. It, it presents them. It, it presents the idea of addiction. This one and then next is that as Chekhov's gun. Literally, addicted people are evil or tools for you to absorb their power. Yeah. This movie uses alcoholism as a device for exposition. That it's bad. Uh, 
I I knew in that moment, like I suspected that this was going to have a bit of that, you know, like obviously this is before Magic Mike, but I I had a sense it was going to have the Magic Mike energy of, oh, wow, they have a love interest, but no one who worked on this movie like likes breathing air around women. But like, I really knew when we got that drunken exposition, I was like, oh, they like hate. Okay. Yeah. That's uh, fine. Yeah. They literally gave all the witch power to the men and then had bitter drunk mom. Ignoring the fact that probably implies that she was abused by her addicted husband. Yeah, she's... I'm sure she saw some shit. Like, she's yeah, in a ringer. And she's probably terrified of her son because her son could literally be that. And he's just like, I swear to God, I love you, mama. And she's like, I, I hate my life. Yeah. And she has in her voice when she says you look just like him, like your father. Even like, though he doesn't at all. I love that explored so much harder. Yeah. That was yeah, she- on that on her husband dying so fast. She was like, yeah, no, you do it. This is the only way to save the day. Yeah. Wink. Nudge, nudge. Trust me. It's the <laughs> only way. Yeah. Please die. It does about as much to, to deal with that as it does to do with the race. They literally put this character of Kate, this new black woman, not quite front and center, but just to the left. And they don't even, there's no comment on it. It's not. But also, the movie is actually worse for having her here. I think it would actually yeah. be less racist because that is such a white space to begin with that they set up yeah. that I wouldn't have blinked at it being an all white space. But having. A, like a single black person there and a single black woman in this world where women have even less power yeah makes it so noticeable that they're not dealing with race yeah yeah i think like if you were going to cast a black woman in this movie it should be in the sarah part because she has been coming into this audaciously white space with a healthy dose of what the fuck is even going on here. <laughs> and it becomes like, such a cool story then, right? Because then it becomes like, it's not quite a Jordan Peele type story, but it is on a certain level because that becomes this black girl coming into this world and getting an actual like full horror level education and white privilege, right? Yeah. In this way that these boys are so powerful that the good guy burns down a bar and is responsible for two possible murders by the end of that night and no one gets in trouble yeah right and then that's the world that she lives in so imagine that movie and you get like the concept of caleb as like this good guy but the last few minute turn is when he expects them to be a couple she looks at him in horror because he's exactly the same yeah and that's the rest of them like he he has not only accepted that power but stolen the power of like the patriarchal line of his family and used it to commit violence to save the day. And he and doesn't he just, give a shit about He doesn't power. know what's wrong. That's that he doesn't right. give a shit. He has no clue it's wrong, which is like such a subtle difference, but the idea of him then not knowing why she's terrified. Yeah. yeah. There are so many fixed, fixed directions you can go with this movie and we need to write all of them. Yeah, and that, that really no, changes the direction of the like Gorman it. interaction as well in a way that makes can a lot we, more sense. Can we do an anthology where we just get like eight great writers just like reimagine the covenant? If you want a good anthology of prose book, prose stories about queer witches of all genders, there's a book by Neon Hemlock Publishing 
called Unfettered Hexes, in which I may or not may or may not have a short story about a black witch coming back to the manor that the white people in his small town burned his family in. Plug. Oh yeah, no, oh, totally. <laughs> Hell yeah. Plug it actually. And actually, the anthology got nominated for a locus today, oh, so I'm super oh, excited. Yeah, congrats! congrats. Check that out. Check that yet, out. but like, in it, check it out. I actually wrote it as my recommendation that I was going to do later. So it's just like an anthology by queer folk uh, and and queer people of color, like just different queer witch stories. That sounds rad as hell. Uh, it's so good. Uh, and that, that's a prose, not it's not a graphic. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's prose. It's called Unfettered Hexes. Unfettered Hexes. Fantastic. So, yeah, we haven't talked about the, I mean, we've talked about how this movie is homoerotic. It hates the fact that it's homoerotic. It, it, it is so embarrassed by how gay it is. It, I know other people have different readings of this, but the level of embarrassment this movie has about its homoeroticism makes me feel the same way when it turns out the girls aren't gay in Jennifer's body. That it feels like a cop-out. That yeah. it feels like it was heading in that direction. It is fully aware. And then it goes, yeah, but like, you knew we were never really going to go there. Yeah. I mean, it's the same kind of, you know, this just so in denial. Like we talked about Freddy's Revenge and how that movie is really homoerotic, but it is homophobically homoerotic. Yeah. Like that movie is weird because every like there's the whole backstory of how like... With the, with the closeted actor, but also the way that, like, half of the crew knew that he was closeted. Yeah. But half of them didn't. And so half of them were intentionally making a homoerotic film. And the other half was like, what's a gay? Yeah. And Where it's so- like, this is almost smug. Like, that's the thing that got me about, like, Jennifer's body as well, is that these both share a smugness in the way that they queer bait. It, yeah, they it, know what they're doing. It wants to have the credit of winking so hard that you know it knows queer people exist without having to actually commit to telling a queer story. Yeah. Yeah. It's still very in the F's. The 2000s versus the 80s. Yeah. It wants yeah. you to both applaud its queer subtext while still doing absolutely nothing to drive away straight general audiences. Yeah. It's so wild because, like, especially if they had given Chase, like, an actual revenge background for his family, they had full-fledged to mid-2000s opportunity to do justifiably angry and vengeful queer in Chase, and they just dropped the ball. Especially yeah. when you think about this group of ostensibly straight witches and then the outsider witch. Yeah. Who they literally make like homophobic comments about but then they place him as like the flamboyant outsider queer who has like literally has the plot of because he had no one to take care of him and nobody to show him the way he became an orphaned addict yeah it's so like he literally has like a heart like when you get down to like if you actually looked at the logic of his backstory like he has an actual like really upsetting like 90s queer backstory in like some real ways but they're just like and it made him a crazy evil person like in the same way that like the hysteria trope is used right yeah and like that's what i was saying with the 
comment earlier about like, you, you know, sex education or whatever. And, and I'm not talking about just like, you know, the, the kind of elementary school sex education that tries to pass for, you know, actual education. Although the people are out there trying, bless your teachers. But, you know, if he was able to accept who he was and know who he was and be aware that was something that wasn't uh, monstrous. It's not even accepting really, right? It's he did. It's literally the plot of he didn't find out who he was until he was screwed over. Yeah. It, uh, like it's no one. It's like, oh, he got deep into being manipulated and like and abused by the world. And then someone went, honey, the reason you feel this way is because you're gay. But it's too late. Yeah. It's too late to have not been in those situations. And the movie literally goes to your fucking fault, especially since he's underage. Yeah. And they're like, yeah, but you're, it's your fucking fault. Second, you turn 18. You're responsible for all that shit. Yeah. Um, As for Chase, what am I becoming? I mean, that's the thing, though, is that <laughs> despite all of this drug, so charismatic. Yeah. You know, well, have- Caleb just isn't better than him. Like, that's the real yeah. thing. Like, yeah. I'm like, in order to beat the villain, you basically like murder your dad. Like, yeah. And so all I can think is once he makes the decision to beat Chase. Why do we still root for him? Like, it's not like, like, they think what they're doing is Sarah in the craft, but Sarah didn't. I mean, Sarah was still being shitty. Sarah was shitty, but like, there's a difference in the way the narrative doesn't understand that she's shitty. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. But she's not, because like, she's not doing the exact, like, same thing. It's, oh, I need more power. And considering none of my rich witch friends are actually dead. And all he needs, first of all, I have superpowers. I will just take my fucking girlfriend back. Then after I take my girlfriend back, I will just sit down and have a coven conversation with all my bros who are still alive. Because he may be powerful, but there's more of us. Also, presumably, adults with power in this town? Yeah. Where are they? What, are they all mummies that, like, why? And, you know, he's a mummy but he still has power. Like, how does that work? Like, is the power the only thing keeping him alive? But then he's on like IV drips and shit. So also, like the implication of what the story would be if what we were supposed to understand then is that like all of their fathers became that, right? Yeah. That's again, like just a different kind of story that would have been so interesting to tell, right? Yeah. And that they, they don't understand that they that not, that none of those boys understand that all of their fathers are monsters and their abuse of this power is what caused their own downfall but none of them understand that so they all blame other things or like oh they just didn't use it right i'm different you know yeah. etc but that would have to follow through with his metaphor i guess and this movie definitely has no clue how to follow through with a metaphor or anything really it's not a lot of follow through in this film Speaking of which, do we recommend this movie to be Absolutely, 1,000%. <laughs> I knew your answer to that. Maybe <laughs> this movie to be uh, Yeah, I think everyone should watch it once. <laughs> but maybe not more than one. But I don't promise a good movie, but I, I, uh, you have I, to. I see. promise a good time for yes. this movie. <laughs> so I do think that it's worth a watch. As I said before, this is a good movie. Have some friends over. Pop some popcorn, open some beers, and have yourself a time. Don't warn them about anything. Yeah, Uh, yeah. I think 
I fall in the same range. Like it's definitely worth watching. It's dumb. It's dumb as fuck. If you go in with the knowledge that this movie is dumb and enjoyable and like, it's not going to, it's not going to revolutionize your view of cinema. Um, it's <laughs> but it not- will inspire 400 stories as episodes by this. Yeah. yeah. Oh, absolutely. You will want to write a better version of this movie as soon as you watch it. But yeah, I, I definitely think it's worth seeing once. On that note, uh, what do we recommend for people? Danny, what did you have to recommend on this one? I, I think you mentioned it a little already. Uh, yes. Yeah, so I would recommend Unfettered Hexes, an anthology out of Neon Hemlock, a small publisher that specializes particularly in queer and marginalized work. Unfettered Hexes is a collection of stories about queer witches of all genders. I'm fortunate enough to be in it with a story that's kind of like which black dude, which not rich, I guess, which I guess both who comes back to his old family manor after not being there for a really long time. And I'd been reading a lot of Edgar Allan Poe at the time, but Edgar Allan Poe meets 90s Nas, I guess, would be how I write things. So that's my number one. I would also say if you are looking for really good youth stories about coming of age and dynamics between father and son, there is a Stephen Graham Wolf or Jones, not Wolf, but I actually, the one that I want to recommend is a novella called. Mapping the Interior out of Tour Books. It is about a young Native man who lives on a reservation in a trailer. And one night he sees the ghost of his father doing a traditional dance. And it is a horror story and is absolutely phenomenal and is actually about masculinity and class in a way that Covenant would never dare be. Fantastic. Uh, Megan, what have you got to recommend? My recs aren't going to be as good. I think that last time I wrecked my favorite horror movie of all time, Chopping Mall. So I'll do that again. Everyone should watch Chopping Mall. I also will wreck Fresh, which I haven't been able to watch, but it's a Sebastian Stan cannibal movie that I've heard really good things about. I really want to watch that. Every trailer looks absolutely phenomenal. I like, I can't bring myself to... I just can't bring myself to do it. I listened to a podcast about it and it felt like it was too much for me, but everyone says he's really good in it. And so is Dave the Edgar Jones. So uh, yeah, some good horror for everyone. (laughs) All right. Emily, what have you got? But what I was going to recommend, if you want to watch something about kids with powers and dark academia and coming of age, there is an anime. It's kind of nuts. It's kind of intense. It's got some, I mean, it's anime. So there's always a little bit of a problematic grain in there. But it's called Shinsekai Yori, or From the New World. And it is based on a series of light novels about kids who have kind of psychic powers in a kind of Shinto-inspired dark academia. Like, you know, some Shinto, some Buddhist, very, you know, Japanese traditional-inspired setting, which slowly becomes more dystopian. And it's really good. And also gay. And unlike most uh, anime that have gay characters and then suddenly random straight shit happening. Actually, no, that's a horrible spoiler. It's better to be gay in this world. Let me just put it that way. Like my world. Yes. (laughs) All right. Ben, what have you got? So I'm going to dive deep into the dark academia aspect of this story. So if you want to 
uh, really get a story that dives deep into that genre and is a real kind of foundational text in dark academia, I'm going to recommend you check out the novel, The Secret History, written by Donna Tart, published in 1992. Definitely check it out for all things, you know, about the, you know, darkness and murder and elitism and pressure and fall and grace of snooty New England education. Rad. Oh, if you want to see what actual irresponsible magic use looks like, should absolutely read the tragedy that is Dangerous Habits, the Hellblazer arc, which sees John Constantine immediately find out that he has blood cancer from smoking through all of the series, and he does not deal with it very well, but also is irresponsibly uses his knowledge of magic to cheat his way out of cancer. And not only is it an absolutely phenomenal storyline, but it follows the character for the next decades of this book. What, how he resolves it is, unlike a lot of series, he never gets to shake off any of the times that he screws over other people to kind of get on top, be it selfishly or as a hero. And this is kind of one of the big moments and has one of my favorite opens early on with him talking about himself and with his walking through the shadows monologue being one of my favorite moments in all comics. Nice. Okay. So I had, I had nothing directly related to this movie that I wanted to recommend, <laughs> yeah. but like, there's a lot of things I've watched recently that, uh, that were, that I really wanted to talk about, really wanted to encourage people to go see. One of them I feel like everybody I know has already encouraged everybody to go see it, which is Everything Everywhere All at Once, which is an incredible movie. It is hard to explain just how weird and wild and out there the movie gets while still like staying very emotionally grounded and also very science fiction at the same time. So like definitely go. Can't wait till I can see it. Yeah, I, you know, it, I managed to like get to a showing during the day, midweek, where it was like me and two other people in the whole theater, which is the way to do it these days, I feel like. And the other thing I wanted to recommend, which I just caught up on recently, speaking of uh, movies with queer themes, I finally sat down and watched May, which is great. If you've never seen May, it's about a girl who's sort of, she's got a lot of social issues. She doesn't quite fit in. She is sort of taught early on. That, you know, this uh, lazy eye that she has, among other things, makes her undesirable and people don't want to be friends with her. And she's just sort of made friends with this doll that lives in her house with her. But she is trying to connect with people and is trying to date and then get to know people. And at various points in this movie, ends up dating both Jeremy Sisto and Anna Faris uh, characters in this and not character, not actors I was expecting to to hear in this. So that's yeah. cool. Yeah, it's uh, the lead character May is played by Angela Bettis, um, and then yeah, Jeremy Sisto and Anna Faris are almost the only other characters in the movie. It's very it's a very small cast, but you know she's just trying to make connections with people, and she slowly starts learning people suck. And if she's going to make a friend who's actually a good person, she's going to have to take some people apart and put them back together to do it. So it's real dark and uh, can be a rough watch at points because it is sort of 
she does deal with some emotionally scarring stuff, but it's really good. And it is genuinely queer. Unlike a lot of the movies we've talked about on here recently, it is also directed by Lucky McKee. So yeah, that's definitely one that I would recommend people check out. You can find it just about anywhere, either streaming or like, you know, it's an older indie horror movie, so you can get it for about five bucks most places. So definitely worth checking out. That is it for us on the recommendations. Uh, what, uh, Megan, could you let people know where they can find out more about you and then what you do online? Yeah, yeah. Everyone can find me on Twitter. I'm at Megan underscore MB. Uh, yeah, I'm an editor. So, so send me your covenant rewrite pitches. <laughs> you can't say that. Please, guys, don't, don't, don't do it. You gotta do it. No, you can't tell Twitter to do that. No one follows me on Twitter. Don't DM me anything. I will immediately delete it. But if you know my email, then you can email me. All right. And uh, what about you, Danny? We will find your you, stuff. You can find me being entirely too much online at Wear Dogs, W E R E D A W G Z, because I have a brand and it is werewolves. Also, because it's been announced, keep an eye out for uh, I've got a Star Trek Miraverse one shot coming out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Where I got to work with Megan. And I really enjoyed working on that. And it was super cool to get to play not only in the Miraverse, but with a lot of things that I thought a lot about while watching Cisco in that universe. And it's dope. Do you realize how incredible this is? <laughs> also, Kira is also really big in it, so. Oh, good. Yeah, very good. Oh, if you're a Kira fan, you'll love to hate her in this book. <laughs> Mirrorverse Kira is a lot. A lot. Anyone's a lot. Yeah. Oh, Mirrorverse Kira is just, uh, oh, she's all that in the bag of chips. Mirrorverse oh, Kira. Hell yeah. That's for the rest That's of us. Kira. Find... Emily at Megamoth on Twitter, at Mega underscore Moth on Instagram, and at Megamoth.net. Ben is on Twitter at Ben the Con and on their website at BenConComics.com, where you can pick up all of their books, including the new Immortals Phoenix Rising graphic novel from Great Beginnings and the Glad Award nominated Renegade Rule graphic novel. And finally, for me, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at jrome 58 and my website at jeremywhitley.com, where you can pick up everything I write. And of course, the podcast is on Patreon at Progressively Horrified, our website at progressivelyhorrified.transistor.fm, and on Twitter at Prog Horror Pod. We would love to hear from you. And speaking of loving to hear from you, please, if you're listening to this, we would love if you would rate and review the podcast. Five stars gets us out there where more people can find it and check it out. Thanks again so much to Danny and Megan for joining us. It was a ball, guys. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yes, this was awesome. This was a super fun one to talk about. So thank you so much for coming on. Thank yeah. you for introducing this film to us. I only recommend the most chaotic. <laughs> not the best, not yeah. the worst. Just the most chaotic. This great sign when you try to figure out where a movie is streaming and it turns out it's <laughs> Pluto <laughs> TV, all the great movies. And of course, as always, thank you to Ben and Emily for uh, joining me. And thank you to all of you for listening. And until next time, stay horrified. Progressively Horrified is created by Jeremy Whitley and produced by Alicia Whitley. This episode featured the Horror Squad, Jeremy, Ben, and Emily, along with special guests Danny Lohr and Megan Brown. All opinions expressed by the commentators are solely their own and do not represent the intent or opinion of the filmmakers, nor do they represent the employers, institutions, or publishers of the commentators. 
Our theme music is Epic Darkness by Mario Cool 6 and was provided royalty-free from Pixabay. If you like this episode, you can support us on Patreon. You can also get in touch with us on Twitter at ProgHorrorPod or by email at ProgressivelyHorrified at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Bye.